today we're ending 21 days of prayer and fasting. How, how many of you would say this has been a sweet and a special time for you of prayer and fasting? It, it has been for me. This has been rich, hasn't it? It's been good. It's been filled with joy. There's been a lot of peace, a lot of, um, a, a lot of mercy. And so um, today we end the fast. Tonight we end with what we call Freedom Night. You'd be surprised how many people have never had anyone pray for them in their entire life. I don't mean like, hey, I'm praying for you. I mean like pray for them in person. And so tonight, we want to end this time of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we're going to have a, a short time of worship. And then we're going to have a prayer time where we'll give everybody the opportunity to be prayed for. And so we believe in prayer. We don't believe that prayer is a, like a throwing a coin in a wishing well. When you pray, something happens. And so I want to encourage you tonight to be here at 5.30, short time of worship, and then the rest of the night is prayer. That's all we do. We'll give you an opportunity to be prayed for. So um, I want to ask you to, to join us for that tonight. Now, speaking of fasting, <laughs> I don't know what you fasted, but if it was in the dessert category... You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure what you'll be doing later today. You know, you'll sugar up, and then you won't be able to sleep, and you'll go, why did I do that to myself? But uh, have you ever had uh, a sweet or a dessert on your mind that was really good, and you knew there was one piece left? You know where I'm going? And, and you go into, and, and you've had that on your mind. Maybe you've been at work, or maybe you forgot, you know. But two or three days, it's just been sitting on you. And you've been thinking, you know, tonight, when I get home, it's cold, nasty outside. Speaking of, how many of you are ready for Snowpocalypse 2019? You know it's coming, right? It's coming again. So batting the hatches. So I don't know, maybe you were caught in the snow. Let's throw that in there. That'll be good. And, and you've been looking forward to that, and you get home, and you know, you get settled for the night, and you go in the kitchen. You've been waiting for that moment. And you look and there's nothing left but a crumb. And some scoundrel has beat you to it in your kitchen and it is gone. And how many of you know that was the best piece of cake or pie that's ever been in the world? You know what I'm talking about? Well, in that same uh, vein, every year Jimmy Kimmel, I know it's not even close to Halloween, but Jimmy Kimmel does this little spot where he has parents tell their kids that they've eaten all their Halloween candy. And then they tell them and they video it and they send it into the show. And uh, I just wanted you to see a couple of those clips to show you how people react to that kitchen moment when the cake is gone, okay? So go, go ahead and play the video. Mommy and Daddy got really hungry last night and we ate all your candy. But it's all gone. But it's, but it's in there. We got really hungry, and so mommy and daddy ate it all. No! I ate all of your Halloween candy last night. <laughs> I'm so disappointed at you.
I ate all your sweets when you were in the bath. Are you mad? You're not mad I ate all your candy? I'm not mad at all. Okay. I'll never be mad at you because you're my mom. <laughs> you're too sweet. It's gross. I'm sorry, I love you. I love you too, but I'm very disappointed. Mommy and Daddy. Aren't those good? <laughs> Man, I, I try to watch those every year. Um, here's why. Because it's interesting how each kid responds differently. And you know, isn't that just a clear picture about life? We, we all respond differently to pain, don't we? When something's been taken from us, when someone's hurt us, really, we don't have control all of the time on whether we're hurt or not. The only thing we have control over is whether, whether, how we're going to respond. And what I want you to know is preventing all pain is impossible, but how you respond is where the opportunity is. And that's what decides if you're going to move forward in life or if you're not going to move forward. And that's what this entire series has been about, walking in freedom. God wants this to be the greatest year of freedom in your entire life. I believe that with all my heart. To live it, though, there are some things that you have to let go of. And we've talked about those. We've talked about letting go of idols, letting go of lies, Letting go last week of unanswered questions, if you, if you didn't uh, get to hear any of those, I would encourage you to, to look on our podcast and, and catch up. And today, uh, the last one is letting go of unforgiveness. The only things that can hurt you are the things that you are unwilling to let go of. Because when you let go of them, they can't hurt you anymore. So unforgiveness. Forgiveness is relevant to everybody in the room because forgiveness is something that all of us need to receive and all of us need to give because we live in an imperfect world where we're hurt again and again. Uh, check out these, a couple of these stats from our country. 80% of all murders in America are committed by people with some kind of relationship with the victim. Oftentimes a family member. Most of the murders that happen in America are not stranger on stranger. More children under five years old are killed by the anger and rage of a family member than die of sickness or disease. Don't think that harboring unforgiveness has no cost. It does have a cost. When we don't let go of unforgiveness, we become cynical and sarcastic, we become angry and lonely and bitter, depressed and control freaks. And we start building walls and we eventually isolate ourselves in order to prevent the event 
from ever happening again because we're still holding on to it. A, a, a man was once bitten by a dog with rabies, and his friend just happened upon him after it happened, and he saw him furiously writing on paper, and he said, hey, you know, you don't have to write your will out, man. There's a cure for rabies. He said, I, I'm not writing my will. He said, I'm making a list of all the people I'm going to bite. <laughs> Unforgiveness causes us to bite the people we love, even when we don't mean to. Unforgiveness destroys relationships. Unforgiveness stunts the emotional growth of children. Unforgiveness can cause harm to your body, ulcers and high blood pressure and heart problems and bone deterioration and sometimes even death. Think of the price we pay and the lack of freedom we experience when we don't forgive. So this morning I want to look at uh, one of the stories in the Bible of the person who, in my opinion, probably dealt with unforgiveness in the most effective possible way. That's not to say that it was easy. He was from a very dysfunctional family. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, is an epic story, and I almost feel like I'm cheating you because if you take the journey through the whole story, it's so rich. But I'll give you a synopsis this morning. Joseph's mother died when he was 10, so he had, a, he had a pain there. He was raised by a stepmother and two concubines. A concubine was sort of like a other living wife type person, none of, none of which loved him very much. Joseph's father was married to two sisters who got into a baby birthing war. Check that out. The competition was so intense, they couldn't individually birth babies fast enough, and they were afraid they were going to lose, so they took on maidservants to help produce more babies. So four women in one tent, constantly pregnant, children running out every door. Can you imagine? If you ever think single parenting's bad, try polygamy with who can have the most babies. <laughs> now you got a problem. And the list goes on. Joseph's father chose him as his favorite, which you can imagine just thrilled all the moms and all the stepbrothers and stepchildren and all of this. And this caused incredible jealousy from his 11 brothers. Joseph's brothers violently abused Joseph and sold him into slavery. And, and then they went and told their aging father that he was killed by a wild animal. And they protected that lie for 20 years, two decades. Dishonest, adulterous, cheating, lying, sexual abuse, incest, you name it. You think the Kardashians are bad. They're like leave it to beaver compared to these people. On top of that, Joseph was mistreated while a slave in Egypt by his owner, by his boss, by his owner's wife, by the jailer, and by the cupbearer. And Joseph had every right to be angry and bitter. The only thing is he wasn't. He dealt with it so well, he eventually was promoted to the second in command over all of Egypt, even though he wasn't even Egyptian. He was Hebrew. And while Joseph was second in command, a severe famine broke out in the land that had a harsh impact on his family. Out of desperation, his family reaches out to Egypt for help because they're going to starve to death. Guess who they had to talk to? Well, well, well. <laughs> it's a small world, isn't it? They had to go see Joseph. They didn't even know it was him because they thought he was dead. Now I want you to imagine for a minute how the tables have turned. 
They think he's dead, and he, once he recognizes them, there had to be nights he laid in his bed and looked up to the ceiling and said, if I ever get my hands on them, right? That's what they did when they had the power. Wait till they see what I do when I have the power. If I ever get my chance, he has all the authority to enact as painful a revenge on them as he wishes, and he does something completely unexpected. Genesis 45, verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. They didn't even recognize him. 20 years had gone by. And, and they would have never guessed he would be second in command in Egypt. And they couldn't even recognize him. He said, I'm Joseph. And then he says, is my, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They thought, oh no. No, we thought the famine was going to get us. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Now that's, that's an interesting move. You know, is he going to behead them? What's he going to do? When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Remember that? And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. How do you forgive? Number one, you have to trust that God has a plan. Now, now what, do, what do I mean by trust that God has a plan? He says it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you because now that God sent me ahead of you, I can provide the grain and the food that will sustain my family of origin and not only my family of origin, but my race, my nation, and my people. So God's hand was in it. Imagine had Joseph harbored bitterness, maybe most of Israel would have died. But God sent him ahead for that purpose. Now, that does not mean that God sends people into our life to hurt us so that he can bring something good out of it. That is not what that means. God does not send people into your life to hurt you. If they hurt you, they hurt you because they are broken. They don't hurt you because God sent them to hurt you. God doesn't cause every pain, but he will use every pain if you'll allow him. So Joseph even tells us the reason he was able to forgive his family. He says, God sent me here to preserve life. And then he says, it was not you who sent me here. It was God who sent you. In other words, don't be mad at yourself. I see the big picture. You were bitter and angry and filled with revenge and division and dysfunction. And I get that. But God used you even in your sickness. Even in your brokenness, God was able somehow to bring good out of it. I can see the bigger picture, and I can see that God has a plan. And Joseph refused to see himself as a victim, but decided to see himself as, as someone that God had directed and guided and touched and redeemed the painful circumstances for the good of a whole nation. To, to not forgive is only to hinder God's plan. And by the way, that's what it always does. Do you know how many marriages end because of unforgiveness? Do you know how many parents and kids won't talk to each other because of unforgiveness? Do you know how many jobs have been lost because of unforgiveness? 
Do you know how much kingdom goodness never happens because of unforgiveness? Because someone has locked down on the controls and said, I will not forgive. And it is not God's way. It is, it is the devil's way. In my opinion, unforgiveness hinders God's work at least as much or more as a lack of faith. It's a, it's, a, it's a total roadblock. God can use anything and everything to make good come out of bad circumstances. It's so clear in Joseph's life. If this chain of events over the last 20 years is unbroken at any length, the final outcome is different. And the same is true for you and I. Whether we're responsible for our brokenness or someone else has caused the pain, God knows how to make All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. How how can we possibly forgive everything that's been done to us? Well, we've got to trust that God has a plan. Number two, make sure you know what forgiveness is. It's often helpful to me to know what something is not in order to understand what it is. So let me tell you some things that forgiveness is not that we oftentimes confuse it with. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You always hear, forgive and forget. Well, it's nice if you can forget what people have done to you, but it's not necessary in order to forgive. There are usually two pains that you and I forget. The ones that are so small and trivial that we just can't remember them, or the ones that are so horrible and horrific that our mind can't manage the pain and we attempt through trauma to block it out and maybe we can't pull it back up because we've buried it so deep that is the most dangerous kind of forgetting that you and I could ever do is to bury and to pretend thank God that forgetting is not a requirement for forgiving because there's some things that I hadn't forgotten What's the most important thing in terms of forgetting and forgiving is this. It's through God's grace we have the power to forgive things we remember. Now that's forgiveness. Here's another thing forgiveness is not. It's not excusing. What I mean is excusing someone for what they've done is not the same as forgiving. Excusing them says, well, there's extenuating circumstances. Maybe it wasn't their fault. Maybe it wasn't even within their control. Maybe maybe it was an accident and they don't even know they did it. Uh, They don't need forgiveness. They need understanding. And understanding and forgiveness aren't the same thing. Uh, uh, Something else forgiveness is not. It's not avoiding. Some people walk around like little wet blankets putting out every fire before it can even start. Right? And and they, they shush and they maneuver, and, and, and they walk around and, uh, uh, shushing every conflict, and they never allow anger to arise, therefore forgiveness is never possible. And they say, forgive and forget, but what they mean is, don't make a fuss, because I can't handle conflict. They, fake peace is fine with them. Matter of fact, anything, you can put any adjective on peace, and they're in, any kind of peace is better than conflict. And so they avoid and they shush, and and that's not forgiving. 
That's avoiding. Forgiving is also not accepting, although it is closely related, but they do need to be distinguished. Accepting people is not forgiving them. We accept people based on the value that God has in them. We forgive people for the wrong that they have done to us. And those are two different things, not to be confused. And lastly, forgiveness is not tolerating. Forgiveness doesn't mean tolerating bad behavior or allowing someone to hurt you the same way again and again and again and again. Some acts are so bad and some people are so broken that you must set boundaries to ensure that some things never happen again. Putting yourself at risk for harmful behavior over and over and over and over is not forgiveness. It may be dangerous and it may be a lack of wisdom. But it is not the same thing as forgiveness. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness does not mean wiping out the past. Those sinful decisions that people make have consequences on innocent people. Joseph was in prison for 13 years. For nothing that he did. He never got those years back. So forgiveness is not about getting back what you lost. It's about not losing what you presently have. So many people give away what they have because they're trying to retrieve what they lost. And if you let unforgiveness stay in your life, not only will you continue to lose what you lost in the past, you'll lose what you have now. And that is part of the price that we pay for unforgiveness. I've watched too many people ruin and lose the present Because they simply cannot let go of the past. They miss freedom. They miss joy. They miss peace. They miss love. They miss the present happiness and relationship. Because they're dragging these weights around from the past. And the chains are in their hands. And nobody can talk them out of letting them go. Because they think somehow they're going to fix the past by holding on. Lewis Smedes wrote a little classic book on forgiveness And here's one of the most powerful quotes I've ever heard on the subject. He says, forgiveness is letting the prisoner go free and realizing the prisoner is you. We wrongly think when we hold something against someone that we are are locking them in to the same kind of pain that we live in. And so many times that person moves on and flourishes. What a paradox and what a tragedy that the person that hurt you can go on and find forgiveness and move on and flourish while you carry the wound and you stay behind. Forgiveness is not setting the other person free. Forgiveness is setting you free. And it's the only way you can be free. I promise you, please believe me, in all my years of ministry, this is true. And all I'll have to do is say this to you, and you will immediately know it's true. Because you've seen it in your own life and the lives of those close to you. The most free people that you know have no one left to forgive. Because they've already forgiven everybody. I promise you, you think about the relatives, the friends, the neighbors, the family, the spouse, the co-workers, the freest people you know in life have no one left to forgive because they've already forgiven everyone. And that's what freedom is. How do you forgive? Number three. (laughs) Well, you you have to choose it. It's not going to sneak up on you. 
You're not going to fall in it like a hole. It's not going to happen by accident. It's a choice. You have to choose to forgive. How, how, how many of you have ever been hurt by someone? I just want to take a... Oh, c- come on. There's some... Lift it up. Leave it there. Some of you just don't want to play, do you? You've been hurt. You're so hurt you won't lift your hand. Right? No, I used to be that kind of person. I'm not that kind of person anymore. I don't respond. That's how I fix it. How many of you expect that at some point in your life you'll be hurt again? I got both of them up. Yes. Okay. Okay, so we have near agreement. I don't think you ever have total agreement. We got near agreement. You only have then two choices. You've been hurt before and you will be hurt again. That's a fact. So you only have two choices in how you're going to respond. One is to forgive. The other one is everything else. Because it really doesn't matter which other one you choose, none of them work. So you can choose revenge or anger or unforgiveness, a grudge, violence, bitterness, isolation. You can ignore the other person and give them the cold shoulder. And according to psychologists, once we start drawing lines to limit forgiveness, I can forgive everything but that. I can forgive everything. Once we start to categorize the things we can't forgive, guess what? The categories grow. And our ability to forgive, this is what psychologists tell us, our ability to forgive shrinks. And it's a slippery slope. And we start drawing bolder and stronger in lines and the next thing you know we live in a small room surrounded by tall walls and we've effectively isolated ourselves you really only have two choices and they're clear forgive or everything else I know you probably remember a few years ago maybe in 2015 I think when a white supremacist Dylan Roof walked into an African-American church in Charleston, South Carolina and murdered in cold blood nine people in a church service. And I, and I think wounded three others. It was, it was, um, it was horrifying. It was, the, it was the worst kind of evil connected to murder. And, and I don't know if you, you know, of course when that happens... The whole nation's attention goes and people come from all over and, and all of that. And the relatives of those who died had the opportunity to face the murderer in court. And, and I, was so, I was so captured by how that played out. I, I, I watched it a few times. Can you imagine the emotions that those people felt in that moment. The temptation for revenge, the temptation for hatred and anger had to be all over them. But I don't know if you remember how they reacted. I'm not even sure most of the country remembers how they reacted. One by one, they were given the opportunity to speak, and one by one, they offered the murderer of their family forgiveness. It was unbelievable. A daughter who lost her 70-year-old mother said this, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never, ever hold her hand again. But I forgive you. Have mercy on your soul. 
Another lady who lost her sister said, I acknowledge that I'm very angry. So nobody's, they're not pretending. They're not putting on some spiritual religious show. She's saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm angry. Listen to this. But one thing that my sister always enjoined in our family, she taught me that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hating, so we have to forgive. I pray God have mercy on your soul. Can, can, you, can you believe that? And, and it's, um, I, you know, I wondered after that, I thought, why, why is that not the story? Why did that not make every headline? Why didn't the media run in and camp outside that church for six months and try to diagnose? What would make people different like that? You know why? Forgiveness doesn't sell. It ended the story. But let me tell you what else it ended. The pain. Now, not immediately. These aren't, these aren't kooky people. These aren't fake people. They were honest and real. It didn't end the pain, but it was the beginning of the end of the pain. It allowed the door of healing to open. What an incredible example of faith. That the, I mean, this is Joseph-level stuff. Anything other than forgiveness is a choice to hold on to the pain. And those people had the spiritual maturity to know it. And they did something no one should ever be called on to do. But when they were called on to do it, they had enough of Jesus in them that they could do it. And today, <laughs> I just want to hold them in the highest regard and honor them as examples for us all to follow. How do you forgive? Number four, believe that God can redeem any pain. Do you know when, when JT and Jana were here a minute ago, we were talking with them and he was leading worship? I can't imagine all the things that they went through between themselves to heal. I can't imagine the fear and the worry and the pain that they've experienced. But you know, I wouldn't be surprised if God just didn't use them to help other marriages and other ministers and other ministries, that they would become agents of healing and restoration for other people. You know why? Because God can redeem any pain. And what the enemy means for bad, God can turn for good. That's how you forgive. In order to forgive, you have to believe that. If you don't believe that, you're going to have a hard time forgiving. Well, Joseph had two sons. Maybe he had learned something from the crazy home he had lived in with four moms and, you know, children running out every door. He had two children. <laughs> it's a modest family, really. <laughs> Manassas and Ephraim. I, I, I want to read this, and I want you to try to decide, do you think that Joseph is a person that believes that God can redeem any pain? Genesis 41, 51 and 52. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Manasseh, forget all my trouble. 
Ephraim, fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph had let go of some of the deepest wounds I can imagine. Betrayal from his own family that caused years of suffering. And I believe if Joseph had not forgiven, you and I would not be talking about him today. Right? Because I think he would have never fulfilled the destiny and the plan that God has in his life. Do you think that there just might be a plan and a destiny God has for your life that could be left unfulfilled if you don't let go of some of the stuff you've been holding on to? Boy, I do with all my heart. I think, in fact, the greatest bridge to you and I finding God's ultimate purpose for our life is letting go. And when we hold on, we hinder. We hinder God's work, and we hinder what he wants to do in our life. Joseph fulfilled his purpose because he forgave. And it really, you know, it really, most things aren't simple. And I'm not saying forgiveness is easy, but it is that simple. It's just that simple. So would you stand with me this morning as we end this series? Every week we've been talking about letting go. And I want to ask our prayer team if you'd come. Would you, would you um, open your heart and close your eyes? This is a sacred moment because this is the moment that we begin to listen to the Holy Spirit and respond to what He says to us. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Is He saying there's a circumstance in your life that you don't understand, it's a trial, it's a trouble, it's a heartache, and it's hurting you? And today you just need to let go of that lack of understanding. Maybe you need to let go of the burden. Maybe you need to let go of feeling responsible for the whole thing. Maybe you've already done all you can do. And you need to let go and, and allow God to come into your life and help you. Maybe there's a pain that seems purposeless. You're suffering. Maybe there's a hurt you need to forgive today. Someone has hurt you. And today the Holy Spirit is saying to you, it's time to let go. Maybe like the people in Charleston, it's not the last step, but maybe it's the first step. It's time to let go. Maybe there's someone that you need to ask to forgive you. And you've just put it off or held it off. Or maybe you've not even been entirely aware of it until this morning. Maybe what the Holy Spirit's saying to you is it's time. Maybe you're here today and you need forgiveness from God. You say, I've done wrong. Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you're not a believer. It doesn't matter. You need forgiveness. We've said, mercy is falling today. This is a place of restoration and hope and peace. And if you need forgiveness today, man, in a minute, I, if any of those apply to you, there's something you need to let go of. In just a moment, we're going to start to sing. And I want you to 
to, um, if you need prayer, if, you, if the Holy Spirit's talking to you, there's something that you need to let go of. As you're standing there, I just want you to look at one of the prayer team members. They might not even see you look at them. They probably won't. I want you to pick a prayer team member out. And when, when I begin to pray, I want you to walk toward them. And I just want you to say, would you pray for me? I love what JT said this morning. Trying to live life all by ourselves never works. When you invite into your life a person to pray with you, you invite the Holy Spirit in a deeper level in your life. Because God never intended for you to do this alone. So with every eye closed, as I begin to pray, if you need prayer, if you need to take a step, if the Holy Spirit's talking to you, there's something you need to let go of, I'm pleading with you today, don't walk out holding it. Today is the day to release it and let it go. Would you come right now? Lord, I thank you today for the power of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the grace of Jesus in this room. Lord, as people are coming, I pray they would be walking with each, as if they take each step, would be a step of freedom and a step of grace and a step of mercy and a step of faith. Lord, raise faith in this room. Raise, raise belief. Raise trust that we trust when we move to you, that you have a plan, that you're a good God, that you can redeem every situation, that unforgiveness is broken and bondage is broken and bitterness is broken. We declare freedom today over this place. Lord, that the things that have hindered us, the circumstances, the pains, the wounds, the frustrations are being broken under Jesus' authority today. We declare freedom in this place. So Lord, today, minister freedom. Come on, with every eye closed as the worship team begins to sing. If you need to come, I want you to come right now. Lift up your hands, receive it now. Here in the presence of the is coming. Joy is coming. Restoration is coming. Forgiveness is coming. <laughs> this is where we heal. Come on, everybody, let's sing it together. leaves. Um, if you need to be dismissed on your way out,